Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Andrew Sherman, a partner with Brown Rudnick, and Ross Guberman, the founder and CEO of LawCatch, uh, the developer of BriefCatch, a software platform designed to elevate legal writing, which has recently introduced new generative AI features for lawyers and legal professionals. Andrew, Ross, great to see you. Likewise. Great to be here. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Andrew, tell us about your background and your practice at Brown Rudnick. I'm a co-chair of the Emerging Growth Company and Venture Capital Practice with two of my colleagues in New York and Boston. It's a heavy company side and capital side practice. It's probably about 60-40 to the company side. So we're on both sides of transactions. I'm also uh, very active in our M&A, mergers and acquisitions practice. And as you recall from our old days of working together, I've got uh, a subspecialty in franchising and the harvesting of intellectual property. Ross, you practiced law for several years before pursuing a career focused on legal writing and developing brief catch. How is technology changing the way lawyers advocate on behalf of their clients? It's definitely a work in progress right now, and it's exciting to be part of it and just to watch how lawyers are navigating these waters. We're coming off probably the biggest conference in legal tech, and it's really clear to me that there's a thirst for products that let lawyers be lawyers and let lawyers handle strategy and advice, but still be supported by all sorts of technological tools that make their daily practice not just faster, more reliable in some cases. So you asked this question three months, six months from now, might be a totally different world by then. Andrew, you're an adjunct professor at both Georgetown University Law Center and the University of Maryland Smith School of Business. How are current and future leaders adapting their communication styles to more effectively managed teams? Some of them are adapting and some aren't. If you go into everything Ross was saying and the question you just posed with what I'll just call an old school mentality, you will be extinct. And some older lawyers are already extinct, not extinct in their legal expertise, but extinct in the way they are approaching the practice and the profession and the younger lawyers in the practice. So Leadership styles, project management styles have had to change. Younger lawyers want to be more empowered. They don't want to be disadvantaged by a lack of the latest technology. They want to work differently than we all worked when we were young associates. And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. Post-COVID, they want the flexibility of working from the venue in which they want to work. And there too, as long as they're productive and getting the mentoring that they need. I'm not opposed to it. We saw some of this coming pre-COVID. And I think, as Ross said, that both the technology has expedited the need for change in leadership, project management, communication, but also the social phenomenon that we all went through during COVID and the work from home and the, the slowness in which we're embracing the five-day in the office work week, which frankly may also be extinct going into the future. And technology, as Ross knows, is the enabler there and the expediter. Teaching at a business school and a law school could be interesting because right now, what I find fascinating is you don't see the usual herd mentality that you generally see in the profession. So if you look at law schools, 
you have the whole gamut from banning any use of anything that might be AI all the way up to law schools now trying to create AI degree programs for practices. And you actually see something a little bit similar in the MLA 100 survey just came out showing just massive differences firm to firm in how they're approaching the metamorphosis that Andrew was discussing. I agree with Ross. You can look at AI and the technology that's available and is being produced way faster than Moore's Law used to measure outputs and costs of technology. And you can either approach it with a fear mindset or a greed mindset. I choose greed over fear. I think that these tools are designed to make us more productive, more efficient, better advisors. And that's going to ultimately make me a better lawyer, better practitioner, and deliver more value to our clients. It's easy to get trapped in the fear mindset. And that is probably why there's such disparity between the AMLO 100 right now. Until we're all on the positivity train about the impact of technology, you're going to see this pushback. It's got to be adapted willingly. It's got to be adapted efficiently. And we can't think of this technology as our replacement. We have to think of the technology as our co-pilot. With that in mind, Ross, and given those incentives, how are you seeing lawyers changing their client communications to provide better service? Clients obviously are playing a big role in this change too. And I know many lawyers and law firms are trying to read the tea leaves from clients when it comes to how they want lawyers to navigate these challenges. What I'm noticing, especially in the last couple of months, is a lot of general counsel types, in-house types, becoming increasingly aware that there are all sorts of very reliable tools out there that allow you to do research more efficiently, to even consolidate research more efficiently, to write more efficiently, to edit more efficiently. And although I don't think we're anywhere near a mandate, as far as I know, there aren't any big Fortune 100 corporations who are saying you must use these 10 tech products or we're not going to pay the bill. And I don't know if that will even ever happen. That will be that rigid, but that's absolutely the direction we're going into. But Ross, I think you're right. Imagine you were the general counsel of a big company and I said to you, I'm sorry, Ross, we don't use email. We're still using traditional snail mail. You -hmm. would look at me like I was from another planet. What do you mean you don't use email? We can't use a law firm that doesn't believe in email. Or you said, we don't update our clients with any social media or digital platforms. We stuff a letter in the mail with a legal update and we mail it to you via snail mail. By then you've gotten 40 updates from 40 other law firms. So I do think you're right. I think we will get to a point where general counsels will be dictating certain technology deployment. It's just AI is not quite at the level of adoption and acceptance that email is. But we've seen general counsels insist on certain project management data and update sharing tools. And if you don't have those tools, you're not being considered for the work or the transaction. They don't want to wait for your phone call to know where they are in the progress on things. And if there's not a private network built that they can access on their timetable and at their convenience, that could be a pushback. But there's very much, even in the cloud, there's still cybersecurity and hacking concerns, but that's going to be part of our world indefinitely. But I do think that consumers of legal services, whether they're general counsel's offices or even entrepreneurial companies, expect you to be tech savvy. They expect you to understand tech 101 or if not tech 201. They don't expect every client to be a software engineer or every lawyer in their team to be a software engineer, but 
doesn't hurt to have one down the hall. We've got Matt Richardson. He's as competent of a software engineer as he is lawyer. And clients love that because they can talk the talk with him. I wonder if that kind of development, Andrew, will put to rest for once and for all this received wisdom that lawyers hate technology. Because coming off my own funding round, and I know you see firms directly through your practice, that was the first thing they all said is, aren't lawyers resistant to technology, Ross? And the truth is, no, they're not. It's a myth, I'd say at this point. I've worked from home today. I'm at home right now. I am working off a device the size of a three by five card, my iPhone. There's not a single thing I've had to do today from review documents to video conferences, to phone calls, to internet access. And it's all happening on a device that fits in my shirt pocket. Within a few years, it'll probably be a chip embedded into my forehead. So you can resist as long as you want, but when else do I get to comfortably work on a Friday from our condo needing no more than something that fits into the palm of my hand? I'm sure young people are like, of course you have that. But for some of us who used to carry around the take-home compact computer with a screen the size of a Cheez-It and you'd be blind by the end of the weekend, I think we've come a long way. And if you don't fight it, it's going to fight you. I think we should deal with the elephant in the room on AI. The elephant in the room is no general counsel wants to pay for a brief that was generated by a machine and not reviewed by an attorney. We heard the story from a few weeks ago of the AI creating cases for its own convenience that didn't even exist in the footnotes. But that's a very narrow, horse-blinded view of what AI is. I used AI the other day to help me get ready for a meeting, not to draft a document that I can draft better, at least for now, but to help me get ready. I wanted to know what market trends were in this client's industry. I wanted to know what challenges they were facing. I wanted to know if they had any legal or regulatory issues that I wasn't aware of. And AI did a better job than a typical Google search. So think of AI as not just the generative AI that's going to draft a document for you. That's the one that everybody defaults to. But think of it as truly your navigational co-pilot, and you'll be looking at it the way it should be looked at, as just another work productivity tool that happens to be really powerful. It's funny because lawyers are generally quite critical of other lawyers of the profession. But there's one exception. It was that story you just relayed about the faulty citation. Suddenly, when that story came out and became a hit, all lawyers were perfect. No lawyer had ever cited a case for the wrong reasons. No one had ever made a mistake. <laughs> Human lawyers are infallible. All of a sudden, for a couple of days, then we went back to being mediocre, right? I can't believe I'm mediocre lawyers. I have to practice with. I guess it's been a sort of life preserver, that story about the false citations for the naysayers. But if you actually ask ChatGPT the same thing today, it does not give you faulty citations. So even the one thing no, you're no, holding no. on to is we're now past that, even though it's only been a couple of months. Because it gets smarter every day, every second. And exactly. if you don't know that about AI, then you haven't been doing your reading. The one thing I will say, if I were a young lawyer today, I would be both excited and a little fearful. I teach at Georgetown, the law school. We talked about AI three days ago. And what I said to the young future lawyers was, this is not a time to become complacent. You have to be ready to justify your existence as a first year associate this fall, independent of what a machine is capable of. And if a machine can work harder than you 
faster than you, doesn't take coffee breaks, doesn't go on vacations or send their dog walking out, and you can't show a value proposition that at least is a peer to machine learning and to AI, your career might be in jeopardy. And so it's not a time to become complacent. It's a time, particularly for younger lawyers, to say, hey, this tool exists. It's readily available to clients and to law firms. I have to be as good, if not better, as that tool. And I have to learn how to master that tool to be a better practitioner. So it's not a time to be complacent, but it's also not a time to be fearful. Andrew, with that in mind, you're the author of several books, including one of my favorites, Road Rules, Be the Truck, Not the Squirrel, Learning the 12 Essential Rules for Navigating the Road of Life. How is training new professionals changing in law firms? First of all, thank you for that shameless book plug that of the 26 books I've written, that's my favorite because that was dedicated to my two children. And if ever anything ever happened to me, I wanted them to know my life thoughts tied up and it's the only book about life. The rest of the books are boring about business strategy and legal stuff. But what's changed is you have to be more holistic. You can't come in with that army sergeant mindset and say, you will work 18 hours a day because that's what I had to do. You will sit at your chair and not move. You will take no breaks for personal or family or lifetime or yoga class or whatever it may be because technology has enabled our ability to have a more flexible workday and a more productive workday. But what we haven't found yet is that pendulum point of the right balance. It seems people are either working too hard and not using enough technology to make their lives more efficient, or they're on the computer playing video games because they think they can just hit a chat GPT button and get their work done at five o'clock for something that's due at six. And neither are healthy habits. So how do we find that right balance? And then as senior partners, how do we teach by example that right balance? I very intentionally have a three-day work week in the office, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, try and work from home Mondays and Fridays so that I can, at least by example, show the kind of work schedule that I'm following and then that I expect my associates at a minimum to follow. I could be in five days a week, but that's not going to be realistic. And if I come in one day a week, then that doesn't offer enough time for mentoring and coaching and trainings. We need to lead by example, and we need to find that balance between flexibility, technology, and just evolving client expectations. There is a, a type of technology, and of course, I'm going to admit my product is in it, Brief Catch. It's a type of technology that does automate a process, but it also challenges you to, to think. So you're not actually able, even if you want to simply push a button and have a process unfold before your eyes. So I have found especially associates, younger associates, they really appreciate this because they don't like formal training as much as previous generations. They don't like workshops and classes, but they love in something like Brief Catch that instead of just changing your sentence, it gives you options and lets you choose and you can see examples and you might even learn something. There might be a little tip. And I would guess that broadly speaking, that type of technology will be the most enduring. So it's, I don't know if it gets the pendulum exactly right as Andrew was talking about before, but some sort of middle ground between the power of automation, the power of chat GPT and actual judgment and thinking, like trying to find that middle ground is probably the future. It sounds wonderful, Ross. I think you've nailed it. You're going to have to make learning more fun 
more edutainment and things like that, if people are going to use the technology in the younger generations. And we've not even seen a generation of lawyers yet coming up from Gen Z and whatever is after Gen Z that literally did a lot of their learning through game theory and gamesmanship and all of the things that's happening in the elementary schools and middle schools need to be mimicked as these kids move into adulthood. Andrew, given your M&A and corporate finance work with multinational and emerging companies on developing their growth strategies, how important to them is innovation in the way you, for example, exchange documents, draft correspondence, and conduct other business? It depends on how you define innovation. I wouldn't define innovation holistically as including creativity and collaboration. And so some of it is tech-driven And some of it is just being innovative in the way you approach problem solving. And if you don't take the time to learn the language of business, the language of finance, you're going to be left behind no matter how good you are on technology tools. So it's a twofold process. One, deploying and utilizing technology in an innovative way, but two, being creative enough. And here's the key word to underline three times, curious enough about the business of the client's business to take the time to absorb. And that's where I think AI can get us all better prepared for our client meetings and client presentations and client pitches and even litigation by using AI as a tool to enhance the efficiency of our preparation. And that's why it seems to me to be a no-brainer, I would hope, that a law school, it sounds like Georgetown's doing this, Georgetown bringing in Andrew to talk from that perspective, right? The sort of nexus between business and technology. Why wouldn't every law school have an adjunct professor like him? It just seems so valuable, not only so valuable to the students for their future, but the exact kind of thing that can really engage them right now, which is why I just cannot understand why there are law schools banning even any mention of AI. Because of the way we've been trained for a hundred years. We think in terms of Defense, not offense. So when we hear the letters AI, we think plagiarism, we think copyright infringement, we think cybersecurity risk, we think hacking. We're thinking of the problems before we're thinking of the solutions. We are trained to issue spot problems. And what I do in my course is I train them to issue spot opportunities. And there's a big difference. It's interesting. You asked me about the difference between law school and business school. When I teach at Maryland, they issue spot opportunity. When I teach at Georgetown, we typically, not me, but typically issue spot problems. And that's a big difference between business people and lawyers. Very interesting to me that one of the greatest social media commentators on ChatGPT and AI is the business school dean at NYU Business School. I doubt it's a coincidence that he comes from a business school and not a law school. Correct. And also, Ross, I think you hit the nail on the head. Even among the AMLAW 100, the value proposition of these things are still unclear. Just because they're unclear doesn't mean that there's right or wrong. But I think until we have clarity and consensus, I still remember the early days of the web, the early days of email. I can even remember people saying, oh, there'll be no paper in the office. Remember that myth? It's all going to be electronic. No one's going to have a piece of paper anymore. We'll save all the trees. And I've got more paper than ever because I print everything and write on it. So a lot of these things just need an adoption cycle. 
and we're only in the first inning, I think, of the adoption cycle when it comes to AI. But the problem that AI presents that other technologies have not is you could perpetually be in the first inning because if by the time you adopt it, you're adopting something that's second generation compared to fourth generation, you'll be on like the hamster spinning on the wheel. You, you're never going to get ahead. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with <laughs> Andrew Sherman, a partner with Brown Rudnick and Ross Guberman, the founder and CEO of LawCatch, the developer of BriefCatch. What an honor and a privilege it has been to speak with you both. Thank you very much. Best podcast ever, right? This is top five. You're awesome, Andrew. Good talk. You're both awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.